Welcome to Mountain Whispers Podcast. This is a show exploring the deeper lessons we learn from the outdoors. If you're joining for the first time, welcome. Here I chat to interesting people within mountain culture about the way that the outdoors has transformed them, their most vivid experiences, and how themes like risk, fear, awe, and deeper connection show up in their relationship to the outdoors. And today I speak to Tara Such. Tara is a clinical counsellor specialising in nature-based therapy as well as a wilderness guide. In our conversation, which we recorded at the start of winter, I believe in December, we explore what it means to live in the seasons and the challenge of deeply listening to what your body is trying to tell you within those seasons. We explore that innate richness and wisdom that can come from cultivating intimacy with the natural world. Like a few other guests I've spoken to, speak to the power of sit spots, as well as some other practices that can bring forth shifts in consciousness that help us find flow, grounding, and unlock that inspiration. And Tara also has experience facilitating vision fasts, which are also known as vision quests or wilderness quests. And it's the practice of creating ritual space in a wilderness setting and fasting for three days and nights. It's a ceremony that combines a number of what I call modalities of transformation. You've got the wilderness setting, you've got opening yourself up through fasting, you've got being in solitude and creating a ceremonial intention, which bring you up, allow one to leave the elements of the the previous self and bring forth that which is next, from a deeper intuition, a deeper space, whatever we call it. It's part of the mystery. We talk about that and the power of ceremony as a modality for transformation. We talk about what makes ceremony transformational. Just like there is a threshold one has to cross to drop into flow, there is a threshold you have to cross in order to enter ceremonial space. And Tara provides a number of examples of rituals you can complete to, to enter, to cross that threshold. It's a fun conversation. For sure. Really enjoyed it. Here is Tara Such. Tara, welcome to Mountain Whispers. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So you're in your cluelet right now, just as we are diving into winter. Uh, I'm curious, what, what does winter usually signify for you? What is the, the motions? What's the rituals? What's the seasons that come with winter for you? Oh, I'm so glad you asked that. It's very timely, actually, because um, I particularly reflect on this as we get close to solstice, which is coming up in just a couple of days. And uh, yeah, we get to welcome back the light. Um, so for, for myself, I'm very much informed by... Um, a four shields model that I've been taught um, that very much speaks to the seasons, the cyclical nature of seasons and how um, we, we are them, we're a mirror of them. And so the winter or the North shield is very much, well, it's something we're a little bit detached from these days because we have so much ease, right? Like we have electricity and we have a bunch of food in a grocery store. Um, however, if you imagine a more, ancient time it's really hard to survive the winter like the winter's hard you know you need strategy you need planning you need to cut the firewood you need to can the food and and basically do all the things to survive 
Um, so I often have that awareness in terms of, you know, we move through fall and we feel it get darker um, and we feel sort of the indoor time come. Um, and then when we're in winter, we're like really in like the fullest of, of like the cold and the dark and the going inward. So for me, it's a time of reflection, spending time indoors, um, going inward, journaling, hanging out by the wood stove, um, making really delicious meals, making warm meals, making bone broth, making soups. Um, yeah, basically nurturing my body. Yeah. I like and that. When, yeah, when I can get outside. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I um, have only, I, I still haven't found a, a good balance um, around winter rituals i feel i i feel like i'm still deeply conditioned to 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 do 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 and my energy levels do sink down in winter and yeah. uh, i still as much as i recognize it it's being winter and it's time to change my expectations i still find myself coming up against the frustration of or why can't i do what um or achieve the output that i expect myself to achieve and right. i think so much of it is the lack of um of ritual or expectations of what the season is for. I, I feel like I'm still not yet living in that season. Right. Well, I don't think you're alone in that. And I think we're really cultured to believe that it's about constant productivity and constant doing and getting out there and like living our best life. And what are we doing if we're not doing that? And the reality that we often forget is we are nature. And so Nature has cycles and all of them are necessary and rest is an extremely important cycle in nature. Um, we rest, we go inward and then in spring we come into bloom again. And then in summer we're in our fullest of bloom. It's when there's the most light. It's light from, you know, gosh, like six in the morning till 10 at night. I mean, right now the light window is so small here in the Northern hemisphere for winter time anyway. Um, and that's an indicator of, yeah, we're nature. Take time to rest. Yeah, and I, I'll I'll introduce your background in 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 the intro, but in your counseling work, I'm sure you see a lot the way that the seasons affect people's moods and and mental health. Can you speak to that for for a moment? Do you think that is related to the seasons, related to our expectations of it, or how so? Oh, absolutely. I mean, for myself, it works very much in my favor because, um, as you know, I'm a counselor and then I'm also an outdoor guide. Um, and in the summertime, I like to take time off to go guide trips. And I'm very able to do that because there's not um, there's not a large request for counseling in the summertime. So I'm, I'm very glad that we tend to be a little bit seasonal in that because my, my busy season is definitely the fall. Um, what we're in right now is definitely the busiest season in terms of counseling. Um, and I think, yeah, again, there's that going inward. And when we go inward, we're confronted with things that we have typically pushed away or been too busy to really see and to really feel. So when things slow down, it means that we begin to feel and that's definitely not a bad thing it's not like oh no you know fall and winter is a hard time and that's when everything falls apart and it's a disaster and you have to go to counseling it's like oh what a wonderful opportunity to do some reflection and to see the things that are there that we've been pushing away hmm. 
Can we explore the the go inward part for for a bit? What what does it mean to go inward in your eyes? That's a great question. Um, it definitely means that we slow down and get still enough to hear what is actually happening for us. Um, I think the best place that we do this is in nature. So when we go into nature and we take solitude and we just sit and we put away our phone and we don't listen to music and we just quiet ourselves and we hear the sounds around us and we begin to get curious about those sounds or reflect on how they impact us. And then, you know, all of a sudden we might have, you know, a memory of a loved one, for example, that we haven't thought about for a while. And it's like, oh yeah, right. There's that person or, oh yeah, right. There's this sensation or this memory, or we get more information, you know, perhaps we're feeling agitated and we sit down long enough to, to reflect and go, oh, I'm making the connection around who or what is bringing forward that agitation for me. I remember when I felt like this years ago and how did I get through it? It, it really is just leaving the space to, to see the bigger picture. Because mm. we can kind of operate, you know, in a very like from the neck up, like we tend to really operate from the busy mind. Let's just go, 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 go. And kind of detach from the experiences of our heart and gut typically in a day. Yeah, because the so a, a couple of thoughts here. Um, the on, on that last point around, so often we we operate from the neck up. That's that's something that I've there's been a, a big learning of mine over the last let's say three to five years is understanding what my body is telling me. Um, I remember when the the pandemic first broke out, I um, I had a just a, a yearning to head back to my homeland to New Zealand, and uh, it meant putting the life that I'd built in Canada on hold. and And I was trying to intellectualize it the whole time and and do a calculus of risk with no parameters. You know, everything was changing by the hour in terms of what the future would look like. Um, and I I, I was trying to make the numbers work intellectually uh, to justify my gut screaming at me to return, you know, mm. and there, there's so much of a, a practice uh, that can be made of actually listening to what your gut is telling you, what your heart is telling you. Yeah. And nature has actually helped with that, giving the, the time in nature, giving the space to actually, um, sit with it for a bit you know absolutely we go into nature and we begin to remember to trust our nature Re rewinding a, a a little bit to uh going inward and the seasons um something i really like to explore in this project that is mountain whispers is uh altered states of consciousness and and peak states of consciousness when we feel and and perform at our best mm -hmm. so often I am very, I have the clearest processing of my place in this world and, and what I want to do with my time on earth. Um, w when I'm in nature or, or um, in a space like that. Um, but it is often challenging me for me to reach that space in winter. And I, it's, 
summer i often find partly because i'm spending a lot more time outdoors i find myself a lot clearer uh, reaching insights a lot more and flow states a lot more um and winter i'm so often cloudy and so i'm just trying to reconcile um how winter can have the opportunity to go inward mm-hmm. yet often so often it's harder for me to find clarity in winter if that makes sense yeah i i think i hear what you're saying and i also think it's totally normal so i mean in terms of flow states those are of course so much more readily available to us when we are fully embodied and coming back to this four shields model that um i work with you know that the summer shield is all about being in the body and so of course yes when we're out doing these activities like surfing or rock climbing or you know whatever it is that we do we we access those flow states because we're really in our body like our our skin is exposed to the sun um you know we're 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 really experiencing um all of those bodily sensations and then yes the winter we like i've said you know we do we go inside and we go inward and so there is a limitation in terms of how much activity we get of course many of us get out into the mountains and go skiing and snowboarding and that's fantastic and you know if you're touring in the back country you're still having an amazing connection with um with spirit and and sort of the peace in the mountains um and overall there's 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 less movement and i think we do process a lot through movement so I think it makes sense that when there's sort of this forced stillness that can often happen, um, yeah, I think it makes a lot of sense that it can feel more challenging and there can be some discomfort or resistance in that. So that makes perfect sense. Mm. Yeah. And I think that's all part of it. Um, I think that we move through, you know, I don't know that it would be as meaningful if we were experiencing kind of insight after insight and peak experience after peak experience after peak experience i think we need to know what it's like to have that whatever that is for you that tension frustration resistance stagnation etc um i think that's a necessary part of it all that's a that's a really good call out because it is um the that those peak states is is uh is very sticky they're very addictive even if they're they're through um they're not necessarily unhealthy. You, they, it feels so good. You want to replicate that. And so creating a, a seasonality for that or, or, or a cycle for that, or at least the narrative around uh, winter is the time to go inward, less less so to experience that at the same frequency uh, is a useful way to, yeah, to manage that, to build a narrative around it. Totally. And I mean, we're all such different beings, you know, as I say this, I think of, you know, my partner who's out doing cold dips every day in winter, you know, because that's where he gets that. And so, you know, you can get creative if you really want to get after it, for sure. Switching gears a, a little bit, um, I would love to learn, what is the story of how you fell in love with the outdoors? When did the yeah. the mountains first start whispering to you? I was really young. I mean, my earliest memory is around five years old. Um, and I I mostly grew up as an only child because my half-brother and sister were born sort of much later. So I spent a lot of my early childhood just me on my own. 
um, and I had a really wonderful dog. And I would just follow this dog around my grandparents' property. Like all, I just have memories of just following her around. I was really grateful um, to grow up in in a or spend time at my grandparents' um, property. It was a really beautiful natural space with a forest and a and a creek. And um, I just have memories of just crawling around in the forest. I can still, when I look back, I can still picture the trees. I know exactly what they look like smell like feel like um going down by the creek I know exactly what the rocks looked like in the water like just a really visceral memory of just playing just being outside and feeling really at ease and extremely curious and always entertained by um the, the natural spaces and from there what was the transition into I guess ecotherapy or where did it's the wisdom of the outdoors start to become used or harnessed professionally for you. Yeah. Um, then that moved into um, me getting older and going to, so a big thing in Ontario, Canada, where I grew up is summer camp. Summer camp's like a big cultural thing um, in Ontario. So I grew up going to summer camp and then, um, and then of course I worked at summer camp and was a counselor and then, you know, ended up being program manager and, um, for myself, it was seeing kids come through and participate in the programs and do, you know, building shelters outside and playing in the creek and um, doing overnight campouts and night hikes and all of these things that we did and just seeing the kids like and and the staff actually like we had just as much fun as kids did. Who am I kidding? Like we loved it. We were like a family. Um, and just seeing the transition and the joy and the laughter and the memory and the uniqueness of those experiences. And so then from working in summer camp, I moved out west, um, you know, did some training in, in outdoor guiding, kind of put that on hold a little bit and moved to Whistler and um, got into more outreach work um, and then came back and did my master's in counseling and then worked in wilderness therapy um, as a counselor, which was always like the dream to, to actually work in the field of wilderness therapy. And then that's kind of, um, emerged in a variety of different experiences and, and jobs currently. Um, but yeah, just, just really, really just observing the connection, the connection people have to the natural environment and the connection that happens between people when they spend time in nature together. I mean, it's even, yeah. I'm sure you can relate to that. Like the greatest way to get to know someone is like going on a camping trip with them. You're like immediately bonded. It's beautiful. Yeah, there's there's something about that. There's something about, I guess, the the environment that you're in, but also the way that nature holds space for that level of connection and that that level of deepening that you that you can't quite get in, in in other situations, or it's a different flavor to to what you'd get from say hanging out at a bar, you know, it's a little bit more spacious. Most, yeah, we're I think we're our most authentic selves when we're out in nature. I really do. Mm-hmm. I think we're really showing up in the fullness of who we are, and that's where those relationships just flourish. Uh, tell us what ecotherapy is and, and how that would differ from conventional therapy. You know, there's there's a lot of different terms. Um, so there's adventure therapy, ecotherapy. The one that I I use and identify the most with is nature based therapy. Um, and so, 
um, how I would define that is, gosh, basically just accessing nature um, to be a partner in healing work. And that would differ from tradition. There's so many kinds of therapy. Um, I would say that that differs from sort of in the office therapy in the sense of one, if we can be outside together, that's great because it opens up what we talked about in terms of our more authentic selves. Um, sometimes it is just incorporating if we can, nature symbols or conversations around nature as a mirror in an office, if we're still working in an office. Um, and I'm sure we'll begin to talk more about this, but you know, one of the most inspiring practices that I'm so thankful to participate and guide in my life is doing um, vision fast ceremonies. So sometimes we're doing really in-depth work where people are going out on the land for four days and four nights in solitude. Um, or as I was talking to you before we recorded a program like doing a surf um, adventure camp um, for grief. So I, I would say that it's um, what I appreciate it for is I, I feel like it is nature provides a container that's so much bigger than it, it can hold like a really wide range of experiences and emotions. Um, it's just really expansive. Yeah. Mm. So that's what it means to me. There's a lot of different, there's ton, there's a lot of literature and research um, around some of these names now, which is really great. It's getting on the radar more, which is awesome. But I think it means different things to different practitioners. You mentioned the, the, the power of symbolism in, in working in nature. Is there any of your, your favorite, metaphors or symbols um for the the way in which nature can uh can partner with us for for healing or transformation i mean i really love to talk about um the earth in terms of um particularly the compost right and so how it's you know in the fall the leaves fall and there's this death and um you know if if you garden, for example, and you are familiar with putting all of your things in the compost and it gets all stinky and yucky and that's kind of like the fall and the compost and the decay and you got to churn it up and it's kind of icky and you don't really want to look at it. And then come springtime, it actually makes this really nutrient rich soil that you can um, plant and grow beautiful food or flowers or whatever it is that you want to plant. So I, I really like that in terms of um, a symbol for, as we were talking about earlier, like the benefits of going inward, like the gifts in that ickiness, um, the gifts in the death that we, we experience multiple deaths in life, you know, changes and transitions. Um, um, rocks are another go-to for me. So, you know, sometimes I'll do activities around, particularly I work a lot with grief. So grief rocks or carrying around this rock, feeling the weight of it, um, or the way in which rocks have different patterns on them. And so how, you know, you feel that whether it's your pain or your grief is represented in this rock and why you chose it, um, you know, doing something with that rock. Um, I also really love rocks because they're so old. Um, and I love the way in which they, they are our ancestors, you know, they've been here for just thousands and thousands and thousands of years, the way that they get formed and transitioned over time um trees are incredible you go into a forest and you see a nurse log so even though that tree um you know is no longer standing tall and alive it's 
creating the nutrients for the other tree on top of it. Um, the way in which the, the, all there's diverse species in a forest. I mean, I could go on and on and on. Um, although when I'm working with folks, I'm not, I'm not kind of just like sharing what I see. It's really about in, inquiry for what they see and how it relates and connects to them. So it's, it's something that's really fun to just get curious about. And that can be maybe a more comfortable conversation for people. So instead of me saying like, okay, tell me about your grief and your pain, which can feel perhaps confronting, I might say, um, oh, you've chosen that rock. Tell me about how you see your grief and pain in this rock. And then you can begin to talk about the different shades and colors you see and how that's representational of, you know, as much as you want to share. So it, it, it provides this more accessible window in for people. Sure. And, and what comes up as you share that is the the way in which something like a, a rock or even just paying attention to the process of decomposition in nature um, is a gateway to deeper connection and an intimacy. And, and a, for me, a way to drop into flow states or, or a deeper access that I, I often find um e even looking at a rock or or um recognizing let's say seeing a, a an ancient old growth tree um and just visualizing w what that tree is seeing what that tree is has lived through yes trans transforms my mindset my position to the space on earth and my position to this this space in in time um there's this philosopher called John Viveki who I, I reference pretty much every episode. He, he talks about um, uh, participatory knowing as opposed to propositional knowing, which is is that uh, this is a tree and by the rings it is over 300 years old. The participatory knowing is being able to hold um, w what that tree has lived through, uh, where that tree stands and and everything in it. And I think part of exploring this is the way in which a conscious intentional practice can be developed for being able to to ground ourselves through those processes. You know, like there's a there's a degree of uh, psychoactiveness just to visualizing or paying attention to that which is around you, you know. Yep, absolutely. And that is particularly why I enjoy working with nature with people is because then it is also opening up, if it hasn't been opened already, this gateway that continues to be accessible to them. You know, so it, I'm always, so if, if it's me working as a counselor, you know, I'm really looking to kind of decenter myself as being important. I'm not, I'm not important to this person's process. Um, it's important that I, you know, have some training and hold safe space, et cetera. But what is most helpful is if they're able to find something that they can access as a resource for healing throughout their lifetime. And so to introduce folks to this way um, of connecting with nature can serve them across a lifetime, which is, I think, really incredible. And then Absolutely. once they, yeah, once they connect and have that connection, there's more investing more investment in like protecting nature um, and looking out for our, our planet, which is really important. Yeah. And connection is often the, the gateway to that level of, of advocacy. Is there um, either in working with your clients or even in your own practice, is there 
intentional practices around fostering that connection and, and intimacy with the, the natural world around you? Yeah, if people are interested, definitely, you know, there can be suggestions around, you know, kind of take home activities, you know, prompts to go for um, a walk and, you know, maybe some journal reflective prompts or, or just activities if, if folks are interested, definitely. I'm curious, yeah, speak more of that or, or even in yourself, how you go about cultivating a deeper connection with the natural world. Um, I would say the number one that comes up for me is having a sit spot. And so a sit spot is a place in nature where um, there's a particular location that you're drawn to, connected to, and you basically visit that place as a place of meditation, reflection, connection, prayer, whatever that is. And um, it's really beautiful to visit that place over time, particularly to see that place change throughout the seasons. Um, so for myself here where I live, I have um, a trail that takes me out to a beautiful bluff nearby my home. And um, it's been the greatest gift over the past year in particular to observe these eagles um, who come and go from this bluff. And, and, and they're really, for myself, I feel a really deep connection and relationship to these eagles, to the bluff where they often sit, um, to the, the trees surrounding the area, you know, these little areas I've discovered a little meadow that's kind of tucked away and hidden in the bluff, um, and visiting this place, particularly in the winter when the months are hard, um, you know, when the wind is blowing sideways and maybe I want to stay outside and, and still just being dedicated to this place. And you feel for myself, anyway, I can only speak of my own experience, but you really feel like your heart connection and grow to this place. Like it's become a, it's become like family. Um, and so there's joy in going to this place for me. That's, that's beautiful. And it's funny, sit spot comes up regularly in, in, in people that I, uh, I, I chat with, with here. Um, quick question is, are the eagles migratory? Are they there year round or is it a certain time of year that they're, they're living there? Right. So I'm not, I'm not an expert on this. And one of the things that's been really neat for me to observe is I observed that they weren't around as much in the summer or the fall. I know that the salmon's running at that time. So I kind of assumed that they went to go get their salmon and they've just returned again. And this time of year is exactly when they were there um, all the time last year. So, you know, that's something that's really neat for me to just watch. And and I kind of had this feeling, I was like, I think around November, December, they're going to come back and you kind of go and you visit, and you hope. And then there's a the day and they return and it's just like this joy that they've come back. Um, yeah. And so again, I'm not, you know, we have eagles year round on the coast, um, but this particular spot is just kind of this really enjoy, like this joyful personal inquiry I have around it. And that observation is just, fun for me versus like looking it up and really learning you just begin to speculate you're like okay well I know the salmon and so they must be doing this and you know you just yeah you just get curious yeah and and, and as you say that it makes me realize there's, there's no better way to to cultivating that level of intimacy than having one spot that you continue to offer your attention and and as you said, your your devotion too, and and that uh, it's something I've only picked up in the last year. And my spot when I'm in Canada is a is a place in uh, on the edge of Alice Lake Provincial Park. But mm. what's wild, wild for me is just the new thing I notice every single time. And returning to a space, even if there hasn't been that much change, um, 
I'll I'll notice a new type of uh, of plant that is there or, or a way um, uh, something is growing out of this this um, decomposing tree stump around and and each new thing you learn is uh, just a, a deeper um, form of of connection. There's a there's a thinker called Dave Abraham. He wrote the the spell of the sensuous and and becoming animal and he and he talks about how when you perceive something in nature it is also perceiving you. Mm. And as soon yeah. as you recognize that or even if you're super skeptical allow yourself to believe it for a second it's mm-hmm. cultivating that connection that deeper connection that, that that has that intimacy to the, the land around you. Totally. I love that. I love that because yeah, we, we're not, we're not separate. And, and there tends to be this thought that like we, you know, we're sort of the greatest one on the ladder, right? Like humans and, and we're different or sort of above and yes, nature is also perceiving us and we are absolutely connected and all part of it. There's a humility in that that I think we need to remember. Yeah, and and to to find that humility, it often it, it often takes rediscovering that connection. I, I really do feel like at least Western culture has been cleavering a separation from nature for for hundreds of of years, and and that's partly been the the myth of of progress, and it's it's allowed for for great things, increased the the average uh um average age um but it, it's also completely removed that connection in many ways and yeah it take it's a process of reconnecting it we've talked about practices for for connection uh i'd love to chat more about your work with vision fasts can you tell us a little bit more about that so where that began for me um, when I was working for an organization called Can Adventure Education, which is the wilderness therapy program I started working for after I finished my master's in counseling. Um, it was a 28-day 20, program. And we had youth that would come out. We'd go backpacking and on kayak trips. Um, and at the end of their time, they would do a 24 or 48-hour solo where they would go out into nature, no food, um, minimal shelter, and they would do this on their own. And it was, um, you know, a, a rite of passage or, or confirmation, you know, for, for the end of the program. Um, and then their parents would come at the end and um, we would often sit in circle. Most of the time their parents would come. Some, some programs that wasn't necessarily the case, but most of the time we'd all together as adults sit together in circle. We'd hear the story from the young people and we would do something called mirroring the story back to them. And so this was replicating, you know, a more ancient way of, of, and not necessarily ancient. There's, yeah, gosh, not ancient at all. There's um, cultures that are still actively practicing really important coming of age ceremonies. Um, So we would, mirror back their story to them in a way that was empowering. And, and in this way, it was basically like being um, witnessed and held by the adults and elders in their community. And the purpose of mirroring was so that we could hold a mirror up to these young people and say, hey, these are your gifts. We we see your gifts and 
you know, this is how and why you're important to the community or to our family. And so I got really curious about this practice. Um, and um, my supervisor at the time was like, oh, well, if you're really interested in this, you should go down to the School of Lost Borders. This is what they do. Um, so I went down to the School of Lost Borders, which is in um, California. And I did my first class there. And then since have gone back to be an assistant and, you know, learn more and train with them more. And um, the model that I was introduced to there is going and fasting for four days and four nights um, in solitude. And um, yeah, similarly, you, you, you come back and share your story, stories mirrored in community. Before you go out, you get to share sort of why you're there and, and um, the guides support you in a process of getting clear on your intention. Your, so what you're naming and marking, because um, a rite of passage ceremony is really about um, transition, naming and marking different events in our time, which sort of modern culture has really lost sight of, um, and that can be very problematic for us. Um, so that was probably, gosh, that was well over a de decade, well, not well, maybe like 11 years ago that I started to get into that, had my first fast. And then about eight years ago, um, a friend and mentor of mine um, decided that we wanted to bring this work closer to home. And so we began guiding vision fast ceremonies each year. And um, yeah, our work is pretty, pretty grassroots. We keep it pretty tiny. Um, and uh, yeah, we've been doing it every year for eight years. There's also an organization that I work for um, that does vision fast for military veterans um returning home and marking that transition home so um yeah those are the the two ways that i'm yeah working i guess professionally if you could say in this work now sure and and tell us more about what that process of the, the four days and, and four nights is my, my understanding is that generally they it follows a a, a three um yep. part process of, of severance threshold sometimes it's termed something else and then integration what, what exactly does that look like so um, severance is happening before the ceremony. So severance is basically marking the the leaving. So you're leaving the comforts of the familiarity of home, your routines, perhaps you know your family, your friends. Um, you're you're actually severing from the day to day, so that you can allow yourself an opportunity to have you know a completely different perspective and experience. So severance is actually you know ultimately like showing up to the ceremony is is the beginning of your severance because you're typically you're like traveling and you know you're wrapping up your work calls and getting everything sort of tidied away so that you can be offline for four days and four nights which is something that just if you were to ask most people like when's the last time you didn't look at your phone for four days and four nights i mean that's a big severance in this day right like the modern day that's a huge severance um to totally disconnect and so when you're when you arrive to the program um, you know, we'll continue to talk more about severance as, as you're in circle, you're sharing your intention, you're getting prepared. There's the physical components of what you need to do. You know, we cover the water you are taking out, what kind of minimal amount of gear you're taking with you. So you're preparing all of that. And then the morning that you go out on your ceremony, you're, um, you know, you're crossing the threshold of, of fully severancing, um, from the community that's at base camp and and going out into the land, so it's it's basically dying to um, 
to allow for the rebirth and the transition. It's it's, it's dying to, to what is old and is no longer serving. And I imagine in some of the prep work, an important part is being able to bring forth that which you are wanting to leave behind. Is, is that accurate? And so, I mean, it's really relevant when you think of, um, you know, rite of passage. And so, for example, marking the transition from youth to adulthood. Um, you might want to mark the transition of um, if you are single to getting married, you know, to becoming a parent, to a new job, to a new role in your community, whatever that may be. So there's sort of a severance. There's, it's The biggest one we do really is, is youth to adulthood. Um, so it's that severance and letting go of, of those sort of aspects of, of your, your younger self to really step into what it means to be an adult. And, and, and where does that, it, does that require a level of, I guess, cultivating the group that you're, you're running or what would it look like to, to run, um, a, a vision fast that has people in different stages of, of life? How do you manage that in designing the experience? Well, so, I mean, beforehand, we talked to everybody to kind of assess their commitment level. You know, it, we wouldn't necessarily, I, it'd be hard to turn someone away, but we would definitely, you know, someone's like, oh, I don't know, I just kind of want to try it. We'd be like, well, let's dig a little deeper here. You know, let's let's really attune to the intention um, of, of what this is about for you. What is it that you're marking? Um, it's actually best in a circle when people are marking different things because that brings in the diversity of the fabric of life um and that's beautiful so it's very often the case that someone might be marking their adulthood alongside them someone might be marking their elderhood um someone might be marking you know the ending of a rela relationship and and being open for a new one or, or or whatever that looks like um so it's it's kind of a paradox, actually, because yes, everyone is coming with different experiences. And then you sit down in circle. And I don't, I don't know exactly why it surprises me every time. But you sit in circle and you hear someone's story and you hear a part of yourself and a part of your own experience in literally every story that you hear in a circle. And so everyone is different and everyone is the same. It's, it's a beautiful paradox. It's something that comes up as you share that is there's probably a large something that's really important is the ability to surrender or allow the self to get out of the way if that makes sense a, a term that I've, I've only just become familiar with is self-protection and the idea of when methods that you have in place in order to to hold on to to that which uh, is, is, is still you. How does that come into play? Well, I would say that's, that's the threshold. And so that's the beauty of um, going out on the land, you know, not eating, not have any, not having any of the regular social interactions that you do, not having the comforts of home. Um, in a sense, you feel, you feel like completely exposed. You, you feel really stripped. Um, and of course you do experience an, altered state um there's things that you can do um you know you can 
dance or chant or bring a rattle or whatever it is. We talk about self-generated ceremony. So self-generated ceremony is really encouraged. Um, and, and I find it's these, the intensity of the, this practice, um, you're, you, you kind of don't have anywhere to hide anymore. And, and you're really just confronted with being alone with yourself. And that is, there are very few people who've experienced four days and four nights of truly being absolutely alone with themselves, their own thoughts, their own experiences, and of course that connection with nature. Um, but that's that's kind of where it, typically where it where it sheds, where the rubber really hits the road is that threshold, which is those four days and four nights when you're out there. One of the key aims or tenets of exploration in this project is the the modalities of transformation or the the ways in which a relationship with the outdoors can help catalyze that level of mm-hmm. of, of transformation and you introduced did you you said what was the term you used about um about ceremony self-generated cer- ceremonies yes. yeah. S- speak more about how movement or uh, music like that uh generates it is a self-generating ceremony yeah and so self-generated ceremony is what really drew me to um, the school of lost borders because um yeah i tend to be you know not too sure about practices that are really quite rigid or constrained or um, practices that might be you know inappropriately um, taking from other cultures and, and all those kinds of things. So um, it's really totally open. And so this container allows for whatever your cultural, religious, spiritual beliefs are, they're all welcome. Um, they can show up in any way they would like to. And so the, the encouragement is when you go out on the land and you, you participate in self-generated ceremony, which is really just that. It's ceremony that comes from yourself it doesn't it can come from a tradition or a dogma if you want it to that's great yeah sure bring that and there's the invitation to really just listen to what it is that you're called to do and and people tend to kind of have ideas about those kinds of things before they come out in terms of there might be a couple sacred objects that they bring with them or maybe they have something they know they want to burn or or whatever that might be um and so really it's just listening to those whispers that come from within around how you might want to participate in ceremony when you're up there. So it's, it's really, really open. It's really open. Why exactly is the art of ceremony transformative? I think when you talk about say something that you, you want to burn so often um, creating a ceremony out of uh, writing something down on paper and, and, and burning that um, creates almost a mirroring effect of um, being able to let go of something uh, in, internally. Is that, is that accurate? Like the, uh, or, or why is ceremony so transformative? Yeah, it's a really great question. It's definitely one that I've spent a lot of time pondering how I can articulate. Um, I think it, ultimately it's a bit in, enigmatic, you know, like I think it's bigger than us, which is cool. Um, and yeah, I, I think that we can have some really amazing shifts in our psyche around sort of it's it's a it's a way of marking um it's a way of bringing into an embodied experience and 
and something shifts for us. And it, I, I mean, I guess it's a little bit magical and maybe mm. I don't totally have the words for it. And I think that's what makes it cool. Yeah. And, and I, I think about this a lot in that. So part of what I'm exploring is that which is enigmatic. And mm-hmm. I think about really a, a lot of it is just different exercise of, of pointing at something and recognizing it's the pointing, not the actual thing. How is ceremony just different to a, a routine? Though? What is it that makes ceremony that magical um, that a routine isn't necessarily? Well, this was actually, I was talking to my friend, um, Karina Stevenson. Um, she's a beautiful friend and mentor of mine. And she introduced these terms to me, which I thought made a lot of sense. And she talked about um, maintenance ceremonies and radical ceremonies, because I've kind of wondered that that same thing. And so I think sort of maintenance ceremonies might be the things that might be a little more routine around maybe that's our meditation or our sit spot or, you know, just these sort of ceremonies that kind of maintain, um, maintain our practices basically. And then I would say, you know, what we were talking about is like a radical ceremony would be a four day, four night vision fast, for example, a radical ceremony. And, and there's a variety of radical ceremonies out there, you know, whether people are participating in plant medicine journeys or, or whatever that might be. I mean, those aren't things that we're doing day to day. Those are things that are marked out as being more intense. Yeah. Is there any ceremonies top of mind that you have um, through the winter or through the fall or through the spring? Oh, gosh. Yeah. I mean, when when you are able to um, become intentional, um, connected and drop in, I mean, anything can be a ceremony. So, I mean, a walk in the, in the woods can, can be a ceremony. I can make it more intentional by um, writing sort of a line in the ground and, and perhaps setting an intention before I step over that that line I can mark that I'm going into a more liminal space where I'm really open to messages from the natural world around me and you know I might mark that that time is going to end when I come back over um because I think there's something to be said around it could be problematic if we live in a space where we're always like having conversation with trees for example um so you know we can really like we can mark that in a ceremonial way like you know right now I'm in ceremony and I'm you know engaged aging in this way so yeah I think it it comes down to that that self-generated ceremony piece so for myself I wouldn't say like I don't necessarily have kind of a a plotted out way of of participating in ceremony throughout a year it really just comes pretty spontaneously it's intuitive Um, and so I'll have a sense that you know, I need to, I have an experience or maybe have a dream or whatever it is. I have a sense that it would be good for me to do ceremony around that. Yeah. I, I really like the tool of, um, I guess, setting intentionality around opening and closing a space or accessing the liminal. I think you can go for walks often, but a way of making that intentional is intentionally cross, crossing a threshold or, or setting an intention for that space. I think that's a, a, a useful way to turn a routine into a ceremony and create a little 
bit of space for accessing the 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 magical and the sacred yes yes i think so yeah and that's really why i like the the rite of passage model right the severance the threshold and the integration you know beginning middle end um i i believe particularly when we're doing deeper difficult work having that roadmap or that container is really valuable you know because we don't we don't want to lose ourselves in sort of the either the darkness or sort of the you know that's like i want to say easty because it's the east shield is kind of that like enigmatic wild sort of springtime creative spiritual space and that's a beautiful space to visit and um you know that that's kind of an example of spiritual bypassing for example right like when we stay in these places that just aren't particularly grounded you know so having having a container is really important yeah and i think spiritual bypass is is i guess one of the biggest risks of exploring um these modalities and and in many ways that that last piece which we haven't fully touched on the the integration piece is what makes the difference between where the transformation takes place so tell us about what what integration looks like yeah so integration is the most important and often the most challenging part and so integration is um is bringing the gifts back and so again one of the things that i fell in love with about the practice of the school of lost borders is that this practice is not about going into nature having this peak experience that is completely isolated in yourself the reason behind doing this work is to become clear on what your gifts are so that you are going to be able to best serve your community so it's all about community even though it happens alone and in isolation it's about bringing it back and that is the piece that um meant so much to me because i i I can feel quite critical around um sort of ideas of things being completely isolated in one person things being really individualistic um so the integration is knowing your gifts and coming back and being able to show up as a whole and initiated community member um so that we can serve the people in the world um, and, and ultimately impact the world in a positive way by, by knowing ourselves more and by knowing what our gifts are so that we can show up more fully. Um, you tend to whatever it is that you, you claimed as your intention before you went out on your fast, you tend to be tested on that within the first year. So we talk about the first year as being the incorporation year. And it's, it's quite, it's quite interesting, the things that can tend to happen the first year after, um, that, that is kind of like, I don't know whether you want to say the universe or Gaia or God or creator kind of being like, whoa, did you mean it when you claimed that? Like, here's a test for you. Did you mean that? And so sometimes there can be some major challenges and obstacles that show up after you've claimed this thing to be true. Um, and so that's part of the the integration process. It's interesting. Something I, I pay a lot of attention to is the what, the narrative that is applied to, to an event. If someone completes a vision quest, they, they find their purpose. Um, and then get struck with adversity. Uh, you could create the narrative of this is never meant to be. It was that I'm, I'm just so unlucky. It was, all, it was all BS. It doesn't mean anything for sure. Yeah. Oh, or yeah. you could create the narrative of this is the test. This is insert name here, universe, God, deity, testing me on if my um, uh, in, intention is real, which I, I, 
yeah, I, 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 I like the idea of selecting the narrative you want to apply or se selectively choosing your reality in that way. Yeah. And it happens. And, and we let folks know, expect this. Yeah. Expect it. And that makes a difference as well you know, of knowing the challenge that is ahead in the, the process of integration, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Is there anything else on the, the topic of, of vision quest before you move on or on the, the transformative nature, transformative potential that can come from, from vision quest, vision fast, wilderness visuals, however you, you want to name it. Um, I think that mostly covers it. I think it's, um, yeah, the other things about it are just kind of, I think it calls to people. I think if you hear the call, it's pretty cool. It's a good idea to follow it. Um, yeah. And what does a call look like? What does it mean to hear the call? I think you just you just have a sense of knowing. I I mean I had a sense when I heard about it. I was like, yes, that that is that's what I'm called to do. I think that it's important to listen to that in in any kind of venture or healing modality or or sort of whatever your inquiry is is just to really tune into how that feels in your body. Um, and sort of listen to that intuition and that first response you have around something. Because um, that can really support you in discerning, you know, which path you want to follow. Well, well Tara, this is, has been great. I, um, we've covered a lot and I, I just really enjoy the, the groundedness that you continue to bring uh, every time that, that we've had the pleasure of, of interacting. Um, I'm curious, where would you like to direct people um, listening who, who want to learn more? Oh, gosh. Um, part they want to learn more about. <laughs> um, I think if in terms of like contemporary rite of passage, the School of Lost Borders um, has some really great information. Um, there is, you know, anytime I can hop on YouTube and see an interview with Meredith Little um, or Stephen Foster, they're um, the couple who, who started the school. Um, I'm always really appreciative to, to hear their wisdom. Um, and I mean, also, I would just say go outside. <laughs> go outside and have conversations with trees. Awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time, Tara. This has been great. Thank you. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Thank you for listening to Mountain Whispers. As I say, there's an awful lot of really great listening content. It means a lot that you chose this. You can find show notes at the, the bottom in here with a bunch of links that we talked about. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode, please do the thing. Subscribe, comment, rate, whatever. Or more importantly, share it with a friend. Expect to see another episode, two weeks, every second Thursday or so. Much love, take care.